0: Everybody is up and around, looking around the table, their office work. If you're driving, I hope you've pulled your car over to the side of the highway. one 877 528 worldwide toll-free. This is The Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My guest this hour is Nick, Nick Redfern, and uh, Nick works full-time as an author, lecturer, and journalist. He writes about a wide range of unsolved mysteries, including Bigfoot, UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, alien encounters, and the worlds of the supernatural and the paranormal, as well as government conspiracies and cover-ups. He's a regular contributor to UFO Magazine, Fate for TN Times, and Paranormal Magazine. He has also written for Military Illustrated, I Spy, Penthouse, and the British Daily Express, Western Daily Press, and People Newspapers his previous books include Contactee's Memoirs of a Monster Hunter, Final Events on the Trail of the Saucer Spies, Three Men Seeking Monsters, A Covert Agenda, The FBI Files, Cosmic Crashes, Celebrity Secrets, Body Snatchers and uh, Body Snatchers in the Desert, Monsters of Texas, Science Fiction Secrets, there's Something in the Woods, Strange Facts, and NASA Conspiracies. Joining me now from his home in Texas is Nick Redfern. And Nick, always a great pleasure having you here with us in the X Zone. How have you been, good sir? I've been
1: doing good, Rob. Thanks, and thanks for having me on the show again.
0: Always a great pleasure, Nick. Listen, uh, I, some, something came across my desk the other day, and I was wondering if you could uh, help us out to uh, talk about it. And that's the King uh, Kingman Arizona UFO crash of 1953.
1: Yeah, well, this is um, a very weird and interesting case from a, from an author and a researcher's perspective and a journalistic perspective. It's a fascinating story because it has so many strands and tangents to it. And it's um, a pa- I've actually just written a paper on it for a new book published by New Page Books called UFOs and Aliens, Is There Anybody Out There? And this is the first um, volume in a series of titles from New Page that all fall under the banner Uh, books titled Mm Exposed, Uncovered, and Declassified. And the first one deals with UFOs. And um, when New Page said to me, you know, are you interested in writing a paper for the book and what would you like to write about I thought about the Kingman case because it's one of these stories that, even within the UFO research community for the most part, has pretty much sort of stayed under the radar. A lot of people have heard snippets about the story about a UFO crashing in the desert outside of Kingman, Arizona in the summer of 1953 but not many people have sort of dug deeply into the story and addressed all the various complexities and the more I dug into it I found it wasn't just an intriguing story but it had so many aspects and strands to it that it was a great if you if you take away UFOs it's it's still a great story to tell and I always feel that you know if you're going to dig into a story, you should have something worth telling. And I think the Kingman case is a sort of perfect example of it. It has everything from crashed UFOs, classified government experiments, folklore mythology, and maybe somewhere at the heart of it some sort of truth, um, you know, depending on the way you look at at the evidence, so to speak.
0: All right, Nick, stand by. You and I have to take our first commercial break. Nick Redfern is our special guest. Always great having Nick with us www.nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com. 1 800 610 7035 worldwide, toll free. And um, I'd like to thank the good people at New Page Books and Warwick Associates for helping make this UFO Roundup special today and tomorrow. We're going to be talking about UFOs, we're going to be talking about government conspiracies, alien abductions. A great way to start the summer here in the X-Zone with here's truly Rob McConnell. By the way, come September, the times are changing here in the X-Zone. More as we get closer to the new broadcast dates and times. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Rob McConnell here presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist
1: Come
0: On trail full I met a strange lady, she made me nervous, she took me in and gave me breakfast, and she said, do you come from an land under? Nick Redfern is our special guest this hour, XO Nation, his website. All right, do you have your pencil and paper ready? You do? Okay, Nick Redfern's books. Dot blogspot.com. And we're talking uh, this uh, this interview, uh, this hour as we are all day today and all day tomorrow about a new book that has been published by New Page. It's entitled UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? And uh, Nick, thanks very much for joining us. And Nick, your your contribution to this book was on the Kingman, Arizona UFO crash of 1953. What makes this crash different from the Roswell, New Mexico crash?
1: Well, I mean, it's one of these stories that, as I said earlier, has so many twists and Mm -hmm. turns to it. On the one hand, you know, from someone who works as an author and journalist, it's a great story to dig into because, you know, it is a story. It's, It's an intriguing story. And one of the reasons why, the other reasons why, I felt it was an important case to address was because we have different people talking about their knowledge of the case from their own personal perspectives, which, you know, it's kind of like witnesses to a car accident or a bank robbery. If everybody told exactly the same story, you'd be suspicious. But when you have different people giving their own point of view from their own perspective, then you realize that some sort of event occurred. And that's what we get with Kingman. And I think that's an, in, an important factor. It isn't just dependence, as many people have said, on one person. But the more you dig into it, you begin to see it's not quite as black and white as you might think, and, you know, as I said, I think mm-hmm. telling a great story is as important as, you know, revealing the facts.
0: Now, Nick, apparently the original source of the story had an interesting military background. Can you talk about him?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is... The, 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 the story itself basically began with one particular man named Arthur Stansel, who's now deceased. He died a couple of years ago, which I'll get into shortly. But mm-hmm. he... Stancil first told his story... In February 1971, to two new and young um, UFO researchers, just teenagers at the time, named Jeff Young and Paul Chettam and they essentially, you know, I guess stumbled across the story that all UFO researchers like to stumble across when they first enter the the subject, and that was, you know, a crashed UFO and dead aliens and a huge government conspiracy. You know, it probably doesn't get much better than that, and. Stansel said um, that at the time, uh, May 1953, um, he was involved in a crashed UFO incident in Arizona, somewhere near the town of Kingman. Now, Stansel, as you just pointed out, he had an intriguing and interesting military background. Um, he had a master's degree in engineering. He took part in the D-Day landings at Normandy, France, during the Second World War. And in 1953, he was working at the top-secret Nevada Proving Ground. Mm-hmm. His work uh, revolved around a project known as Operation Upshot Hole, And this was one of a number of atmospheric nuclear weapons-based tests that fell under the jurisdiction of the Atomic Energy Commission. And the story was that at the height of these atomic bomb tests in Nevada, some sort of object, possible, a UFO possibly was monitoring the atomic bomb test, got too close to one of the mushroom clouds and was adversely affected, managed to, I guess, stay in the air for a while and then crashed in the neighboring state of Arizona. And that the military um, hurried out to the site, um, sealed it off, recovered the craft and found one small diminutive body outside of the wreckage. And so it sort of it has very much of like a Roswell flavor to it, mm-hmm. except that it was, you know, um, a completely different state and six years later, 1953. But the fact that the, the source of the story had a military background that could be proven and that was testable, you know, took this from not just being like some sort of deep throat whistleblower source. You know, he he wasn't overly keen on speaking out publicly under his own name. But for those who met him and knew him, his background could be verified, and that's one of certainly the early things that that made people sit up and take notice about the case.
0: When the bare-bones, Nick, of the story surfaced, I believe it was in the 70s, what did the UFO research community make of the story?
1: Well, I think for the most part, the community made of it what they make today. It was a fascinating story, Mm -hmm. but it was made frustrating by the fact that the source didn't want to speak on the record, and aside from a handful of people, nobody else could could track him down because he was given the pseudonym of Fritz Werner by a well-known UFO researcher named Raymond Fowler, who had the uh, opportunity to interview Stansel in the early 1970s. Um, but so what made this case even more interesting was that if you go back to the early 1970s and look at the that period in the whole UFO research community... There actually wasn't that much talk about crashed UFOs then. You know, when the Roswell event happened, it actually was front-page news. Mm-hmm. And in the early 1950s and late 1940s, um, Frank Scully's book, which was on the subject of crashed UFOs, generated a lot of publicity. But after about fifty two, fifty three, 53, crashed UFOs weren't, for the most part, discussed by pretty much anybody in ufology. It was sort of seen as a you know, ridiculous issue, not one to focus upon. Um, and it really didn't sort of gain speed again until around about 1980 or the late 70s when um, Bill Moore, Stan Friedman and St- Charles Berlitz started digging into the Roswell story. So in 1973 when Stansel surfaced and 71 when he first surfaced um, to, um, to these two young UFO researchers for the most part, you know, people weren't talking about crashed UFOs. So to suddenly hear about a case like this made a lot of people sit mm-hmm. up and take notice. Um, but as I said, you know, it's, it's a controversial story and um, because Stan actually changed his story, as we can get into on a couple of occasions, but he did have a credible background. So it's a case of, was he spreading disinformation? You know, was he trying to confuse the affair? Was he somehow just actually trying to you know, create, a, I guess, a more exciting story out of a far more down-to-earth one. These are all sort of the types of questions that, that Stancil's story provoked.
0: So when we, when we take a look at the, the, the Kingman crash, mm-hmm. the, the alien that was found, the craft, were there similarities between the, the craft and the alien occupant? in Kingman, and the craft and the alien bodies found at Roswell?
1: Well, you know, I mean, we have some similarities. I mean, again, it depends also on the story that's, that Stansel told and when he, yeah. when he told it, because when he, uh, when he first sort of spilled the beans in 1971, he said that the object that he saw at Kingman, that the, the background to it, I'll just give you some more background, because he was tied in with this atomic bomb test, and he was also tied, reportedly, with the Air Force's UFO program, Project Blue Book. He said that he was asked to, uh, essentially, accompany a mission out to Kingman in Arizona. flown out, and then the last bit of the journey was undertaken in, in essence, like a bus with blacked-out windows. But he knew the area was roughly around Kingman. Mm-hmm. And uh, Stansel said that he was taken out there. And as he told it initially, he said he was told that the object that had come down was a classified U.S. Air Force experimental aircraft and it was going to be his job to try and ascertain sort of the speed and the velocity and angle, et cetera, that the object had impacted on the ground. And he said when he got out there, he said the object that he saw was like a 12- to 15-foot fuselage-shaped craft, um, like a cigar-shaped craft, uh, but not that long, and that it had one crew member for want of a better term which was described as being small dressed in what looked like a pilot type outfit and wearing a skull cap on its Mm. head Um, and that is a story initially told. Over time that story mutated into not a 12 to 15 foot cigar shaped craft but a 30 foot diameter definitive flying saucer now Stansel admitted to Ray Fowler the, the first sort of uh, very professional researcher to look into the case. He said that, you know, when he'd been drinking at the time that he, the two guys interviewed him, and he said when he was under the influence of a few martinis, as he was at the time, he was prone to exaggeration. So, you know, many researchers would have just walked away from the case at that point and just said, well, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. But Fowler, to his credit, didn't. And one of the things he found, and as did other researchers further on, was that Stansel wasn't alone in talking about this case even though he may have sort of exaggerated his role and his knowledge and and even certain facts relative to the case. But what the evidence suggested was something did occur, but ironically, in trying to spill the beans, Stancil may have actually sort of muddied the waters even further.
0: Do you think it was an extraterrestrial craft, Nick, or do you think that it was an experimental craft?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is a sort of, Gets, really gets to the crux of the matter, because one of the things that i found, and this sounds really bizarre, but the, the official files have now been declassified on what I'm about to tell you now, mm-hmm. is that in the very same time frame and location where Stansel said this UFO crashed, and bear in mind he said it was like a fuselage-shaped object initially, not a crashed UFO, the government um, was actually involved in a very bizarre series of experiments. What they were doing, they were trying to ascertain how let's say if there was a third world war and, you know, you had mushroom clouds going up all over the place. Mm-hmm. The USS was wanting to know how best they could protect their pilots. You know, if they're flying on a mission to Russia to bomb Moscow, you know, and there are mushroom clouds going up all across East and Western Europe the worst case scenario would be US Air Force pilots on their way to Russia would be irradiated by getting too close to the mushroom clouds and they wouldn't be able, you know, they'd, they'd just die. You know, they wouldn't be able to complete the mission or get back. You know, they'd just, they would just be totally irradiated. So the Air Force began doing experiments to try and shield their aircraft from radiation poisoning and, and um, contamination. And one of the things that the Air Force did was to use a remotely controlled drone aircraft, which they would fly through the mushroom clouds of Operation Upshot Knothole that Arthur Stansell was involved in. And instead of having a manned crew, these were remotely piloted aircraft, and instead of having any pilots on board, they actually um, placed chimpanzees inside the aircraft. Mm-hmm. And these chimpanzees were actually dressed in like little silver flight suits and actually had like, skull caps on. Now... You know, it's like I point out in the chapter I wrote in the book what are the chances of a, a fuselage shaped UFO coming down, crashing, you know, with a little alien on board in a silver suit and a skull cap, at the same time that the Air Force, as we can prove officially, was flying prototype drone aircraft with chimpanzees on board dressed in flight suits and skull caps? And, but- there, even, and there are rumors that one of these aircraft,
0: actually crashed somewhere near Kingman. Nick, stand by. Nick, stand by. You and I have got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Nick Redfern and I return in a couple of minutes after the news. Don't go away. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multi-family dwellings. Slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 livery lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork, will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September
1: 11, 2001. Check out, from out of the woodwork, on my website, www.williamspeckham.com.
0: Back in Victorian England, a famous theologian posed a perplexing riddle. Why are the two top personalities in the Bible tagged with the numbers 7 and 11? Academics agree the answer is found in the stunning discovery of a hitherto secret Bible structure explained in a new book called The Genesis Grid. The discovery is so simple that preschool children could illustrate it. You're listening to the X-Zone Radio Show, live and around the world on the Talkstar Radio Network. Xzone Broadcast Network, UK High Definition Radio, Euro High Definition Radio, and Star Cable. Our toll free telephone number worldwide is 1 800 610 7035. Our email address, Xzone at Xzone On MSN Messenger, Xzone Radio TV at Hotmail.com. And our website, www.xzoneradio TV.com. Welcome back, everyone. Wow, this is a great hour. Nick uh, Redfern is with us. And we're talking about uh, UFOs. We're talking about the Kingman, uh, Kingman, Arizona UFO crash of 1953 with Nick. And uh, these stories can be found uh, in a new book that has been published by New Page Book. It's entitled, UFOs and Aliens, Is There Anybody There? Original essays from Stanton T. Friedman, Eric Von Donick, and Nick Pope. Marie D. Jones and Larry Flaxman. Thomas J. Carey, who we just had on the show a few minutes, the the first, uh, second segment of tonight's show. Marie D. Jones was the first. Uh, Donald Schmidt, Kathleen Martin, who is with me in the final hour of tonight's show. Nick Redfern, Uh, let me see who's with us now. John White, Jim Maroney, uh, Gordon Chisholm, and uh, Mika Hanks. It's a great book the people at uh, New Page Books and the people who have contributed these these essays have done a fascinating job. Now, if you'd like to contact Nick, his website is nickredferns that's plural nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com. Uh Nick, uh, thanks for joining us and before we went to the news break, we were talking about the the little uh the, the chimpanzee in the in the suit with the cap, and you know, this would kind of make it seems seem that yes, indeed, in fact, the Kingman, Arizona UFO crash of 1953 was an experiment, and that maybe the the U.S. government used the crashed UFO cover-up story to uh, hide the fact from the Russians that they had, in fact, created a uh, a suit or some type of design that would keep their pilots safe from nuclear or radioactive exposure. But is there a UFO side to this that the UFO community says, all right, this is the proof of the same crash that it was a UFO?
1: Well, ironically and sort of confusingly, there actually is. Um, When Ray Fowler interviewed... Arthur Stansel in the early to mid-1970s, he he later published the story and shared the data with other researchers. Mm -hmm. One of the most prominent ones was a man named Leonard Stringfield, and Leonard Stringfield was someone who'd got into the UFO subject in the early 1950s and covered the whole range of of ufology. But by the late 1970s, he began to solely focus all his research on, on UFO crash cases, or as he called them, crash retrievals or CRs. And he wrote a number of actually very well-received and very interesting papers up until his death in 1994 all about crashed UFO stories. Um, and Stringfield was was provided details and uh, a lot of information by Fowler on the Kingman story. And as Stringfield began to dig into it further, he actually found other military people totally unconnected mm-hmm. to Arthur Stansell who... Talked about their knowledge of a crashed UFO in Arizona in the summer of 1953, and Stansel said this occurred in in May '53, so that you know the time frame fitted. And there was talk about the craft and the bodies being taken to um, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, Ohio, the home of the legendary um, so-called Hangar 18. And the, in other words, you know, we had other people coming forward who Stringfield all interviewed and who were known to Stringfield who were talking about a crash in exactly the same time frame in the same state and talking about, again, like a saucer and, and a small body. Hmm. So this sort of suggested to Stringfield that the story had merit because this took it away from, you know, the whole idea of, of some sort of drone aircraft with chimpanzees loaded on board as sort of guinea pig crews if you like and seeing how they've responded to exposure to radiation from a mushroom cloud um and then as, as further people began to dig into it uh, additional stories came forward for example i interviewed only a couple of years ago a lady now in her late 80s who was a secretary at the pentagon in the late 1950s and she swore to me how she said that she said you know i i, I typed up a report in, I think it was 1957, on the Kingman case, and it was a briefing for her her boss, and she was cleared, you know, to, at a top-secret level, to prepare reports for her for her boss, and she said, you know, I, I can clearly tell you that this report I was asked to type up and summarize for him was based on a lengthier document that talked about a crash at Kingman. But then when I showed her some of the other material about the chimpanzee experiment, she began to wonder... Well, were there people in the Pentagon that were trying to hide the truth from other people in the Pentagon? Because, you know, there was a fear, as she said, a legitimate fear, that the, the Russians had infiltrated to the Pentagon. So was it a case she was actually typing up facts, or was she typing up a sort of disinformation that would ultimately be fed back to the Russians to confuse them even further, as well as confusing me in the process? So... You know, it's um, this is what makes it sort of such a hall mm-hmm. of mirrors, if you like, when you're looking at
0: Kingman. All right, speaking about the Russians, uh, Annie Jacobson has come out with a book. Uh, and in her book, she claims that she's spoke, she has a source that has told her that Roswell, the craft mm-hmm. in Roswell, was a crashed Soviet ship and that the occupants were not aliens, but uh, Russian cosmonauts. What's your your take on on that story?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story because, you know, I mean, as you know, because you interviewed me back in 2005, Mm -hmm. I wrote a book called Body Snatchers in the Desert, which looked at the whole idea of Roswell being not an alien event, but some sort of dark and dubious human experimentation using human guinea pigs. Now, in that sense, Jacobson's book, or that particular aspect of a book, is kind of similar, but there are massive... Um, differences between the scenario that she presented and that mm-hmm. I do. For example, the, where I have a couple of problems, the, the two main problems I have with the story that's fed to her, I don't actually disbelieve or doubt that she was fed the story. And I don't disbelieve or doubt that her source was given the story. The issue is whether or not her source was told the truth mm-hmm. or he was actually spreading disinformation unwittingly. Because the two things that I do find difficult to accept One is the issue where she talks about the the crew members or the bodies looking strange. It wasn't, you know, that they were handicapped or deformed, but somehow they'd been biologically altered. You know, I'm not sure back in 47, the finest scientific minds of the world had the ability to literally change someone to where they had like a large head and large eyes. You know, I mean, if you find a handicapped person who, you know, no disrespect looks unusual, That's one thing, but that isn't what Jacobson Saw said. He actually said that Joseph Mengele, the um, notorious um, Nazi scientist, literally biologically altered people to make them look like aliens. I find that kind of hard to believe that we could do something like that, you know, almost like the equivalent of today's gene splicing, but way back in 47. And we also know that Joseph Mengele at the time had fled to South America. So we have a situation where the Russians are trying to contact Mengele in South America to do work for them to fly a craft to the United States to try and convince the U.S. That it was in being invaded by aliens. To me, you know, it's and, and they were actually using supposedly a, a Horton aircraft, which was a German um, craft, which, you mm-hmm. know, if you crash that in the U.S., I wouldn't actually think it would take long to realize it was made with terrestrial materials and had, you know, rubber tires and engines, etc. You know, would you would they really think would they really be sort of fooled into thinking it was extraterrestrial? You know, I find that kind
0: of hard to accept. All right, I just wanted to get your take on that Nick because as you sure. said we had talked about that in the past. Listen, let's get back to the Kingman craft. Uh, is there is there any truth to the rumor that the craft was secretly taken to Area 51 for study?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, this is where we get, you know, we go sort of swinging from one area to the other. And we certainly do have a story about it being taken to Area 51. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, you know, Area 51 is, whether you're interested in UFOs or you know much about it or not, it's, you know, the ultimate sort of secret base. And I think everybody, without doubt, knows the story you know, the rumors concerning Area 51, that it's a place where crashed UFOs have reportedly been taken and, um, you know, essentially back-engineered and investigated. And one person who's spoken about this is a man named Bill Uhouse, who's now deceased, and who worked at Area 51. That actually can be verified. Um, and he said that he'd seen evidence suggesting that the Kingman craft had been taken to Area 51 for analysis and study, and that bodies, he, he actually talked about more than one body being associated with the craft, mm. whereas Arthur Stamsell said there was no, there was just one that he saw. Uh, but Bill he- Ewhouse's story is an unusual one. You know, he talks about reverse engineering the craft and trying to understand its technology, uh, four bodies having been found alongside the, uh, the craft itself, and apparently, according to UHouse, they'd all survived the crash, although with varying de- degrees of injury. But um, Stansel said there was just one and it was dead. So, you know, we do have discrepancies. Now, u story, of course, is definitively alien-linked. But the idea that whatever came down at Kingman might have been taken to Area 51 isn't that unusual because Arthur Stansel himself, uh, Area 51's in Nevada, um Arthur Stansel himself worked at the Nevada Proving Ground where the atomic bomb tests were undertaken. So if it was some sort of classified aircraft, you know, the idea that it would be taken to somewhere in the very same state as to where it was test flown from is actually quite logical. So, you know, that's why I don't discount story as to that whatever came down at King- Kingman was taken to Area 51 because... Essentially, this whole area, Area 51, the Nevada Proving Ground, it's all pretty much within spitting distance of each other. And, you know, logic would dictate that they would all have some sort of role to play, you know, in the analysis of how and why the craft crashed and, you know, what the the pilots, how they were protected from radiation, or, you know, if they were alien, you know, what brought them down.
0: Tell me, Nick, um, what are your personal views and conclusions on this case?
1: Well, you know, I think I think the, the one thing everybody wants when it comes to UFOs and cases, etc., is a definitive answer. I have to say right now, although I kind of veer strongly towards the idea that it was indeed a military experiment mm-hmm. using a prototype drone aircraft with a crew, for want of a better term. You know, they weren't piloting it, but, you know, with uh, living chimpanzees placed on board and then the the plane was remotely flown through the mushroom cloud, and then the plan was afterwards that when they were successfully landed, you know, the chimpanzees would be studied for radiation exposure, or, you know, to see the extent to which they'd actually withstood the rigors of radiation exposure via shielding on the aircraft and shielding on the suits they were wearing. Um, I veered strongly down that path, but I have to also, to be balanced, you know, I have to say that there are a lot of people have come forward independently with no sort of axe to grind saying, you know, we heard about this and and it was a UFO. I mean, I'll give you another example. and This sort of takes it down an equally controversial path but also keeps the case alive. Um, in the early 1950s, there was a... you had the whole cult at that time of what was known as the contactees. These were people who claimed contact all across the United States. It's eerily human-looking aliens, and the most famous ones were people like George Adamski and George yeah. Van Tassel. And they got a lot, as much support as they did ridicule. You know, they claimed to have met aliens out in remote desert locations who said, we want you to disarm your nuclear weapons, or you know, the world's going to mm-hmm. end up just a radioactive rock, if you like. Um, and one of, the, one of the sort of second wave of contactees was a man named Truman Bethurum. And Bethlehem was working in Nevada, uh, of all places, um, where the Upshot's hole tests uh, were undertaken, in 5253, And he claimed encounters with very human-looking aliens, but very short, sort of about four foot five to five feet tall. And he said they wore these sort of silver suits and skull caps. Um, and he claimed a number of encounters which with these aliens, and, you know, it, it all went into sort of a very much of like a a philosophical debate about, you know, the nature of life on Earth, etc. But what was interesting is that Bethram claimed way back in 52 uh, and 53, uh, right through to 54 and 55 when he was writing his books, that his last encounter with these aliens occurred near Kingman. Now, Bethram told his story in several books in 53, 54 and 55, Arthur Stansel didn't go public with his story until 71. So there's no way Bethlehem could have got his story, you know, by reading Stansel's story, because it didn't surface for another 20 years. And yet, Bethlehem was spot on with the location, and he even claimed to have met small entities in flight suits and skull caps, which is exactly how Stansel described the entities from Kingman when he surfaced 20 years later. So, you know, it's things like this that, for me keep the story open but equally and ironically confuses the story even more shall
0: we say all right nick please stand by you and i have to take our final break exxon nation nick redfern is my guest to this hour www.nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com and nick and i return on the other side of this break as the Exone continues from our studios in hamilton ontario canada on Talkstar. Have you exhausted all traditional means of healing without success? Are you experiencing communications through ghosts, angels or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara and I'm offering my services to humanity at this time through consultations. These consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching and energy healing. If you desire clarity of what may appear to be unexplainable phenomenon, then contact me through my website at aguidinglight spelled L-I-T-E dot com to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. Nick Redfern is my guest uh, this hour, Exxon Nation. He's just one of the people who have uh, essays in a new book by New Page Books, UFOs and Aliens. Is there anybody out there? His website is www.nickredfernsbooks.blogspot.com. And once again, I'd like to thank the people at New Age Books and Warwick Associates for helping make today and tomorrow possible this UFO Roundtable here in the Exxon zone Nick, um, do you think that we'll ever get to the truth of what really happened or is this going to be another Roswell where there's going to be speculation, cover-up, misinformation and um, just a lot of talk with no physical evidence?
1: Well, I would love to say the former, but, you know, being a realist, I unfortunately think the latter. I think that one of the biggest problems is when a lot of these cases, you know, they become, first, you know, they become big news, they become breaking news today. They become a matter of history, and I kind of liken Roswell and Kingman in terms of UFOs to something like the Jack the Ripper saga. You know, where we're going to see more books, more papers written, um, perhaps whistleblowers. You know, somebody saying my grandfather, you know, knew about the case in the same way. Somebody said my great grandfather was Jack the Ripper's second uncle, or whatever. You know, um, and and I think unfortunately that's what's happened with Roswell. And is what's happened with Kingman, that they become ufological equivalents of, of something like Jack the Ripper, that it's a, a fascinating, intriguing mystery, but the more time that goes by, the more people die off, you know, and, and it, the harder and harder it gets to get to the heart of the mystery. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that there are only two conclusions either a UFO crashed or a military experiment involving chimpanzees, monkeys. Um, in a radiation shielding experiment occurred. I don't think there's room for both to have occurred in the same time frame and in the same location. Mm -hmm. And that the main witness, Arthur Stansil actually worked on the atomic bomb tests at the Nevada test site and was told that what initially was told what came down was a classified military aircraft. I think we have to go in that direction now, whether he was perhaps told later, when he inadvertently spilled the beans, he's like, hey, Arthur, you know, why did you tell these people that? We need you to backtrack. Maybe then that convinced him to possibly you know, to, to spread the UFO angle further, and, and he profess that theory uh, to a greater degree. So whether we'll ever get the answer, I think that's dependent on whether all the official files one day surface or not. I, st- I still think there's a chance it could go both ways, but I, I strongly veer more towards the military experiment angle.
0: Nick, we've got to say so long for now. Again, thank you very much. Congratulations on all the great work that you do. And I look well, forward you, to the next thank time you and I are here, my friend. You take care of yourself. Regards to your family.
1: You too. Thanks a lot.
0: Bye bye, Nick. Nick Redfern, www.nickredfernsbooks.com dot blogspot. I'll be back on the other side of this news break with our sponsors at six and a half minutes past. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. Don't go away.